Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, is my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And in this episode, we are going to cover what we saw and learned at the 2022 Bitcoin conference in Miami that just took place on April 6th through 9th. So, Matt, what was your biggest takeaway from the conference? So, I... I think there are a lot of things that I took away from the conference. My overall biggest takeaway is that this space in general um, has grown tremendously, even just over the past 10 months since the last time we were in Miami for uh, the 2021 conference. Um, just the sheer size of the convention. come into the Bitcoin space that um, I don't want to say are beginners or that are new to the space, but I would say my biggest takeaway was that last year, it felt like it was really more diehard long-term Bitcoiners or people who had really, um, you know, dove deep into Bitcoin. And this year it seemed to be more maybe casual interest as a way to put it. Although if you're going to spend the money to go to Miami and to attend the conference, I would say your interest is more than casual, but it seemed like it was less, you know, hardcore Bitcoiners this time and more just, you know, a wide variety of people that were interested and wanted to learn more about it. Yeah. I call them uh, Bitcoin beginners. <laughs> right. So they were down there. They were definitely interested. It was, it was obviously the show was three times the size that it was last year. And it definitely felt it. I mean, it definitely felt like it, uh, it had taken a step forward. It was in a much more, uh, much larger space, a much more professional space. It, uh, I don't want to say it felt more corporate, but it was much more polished than it was last year. And there were, there were also, there were, there were, there were definitely some larger corporate interests there for sure. I would say so for sure. I mean, you know, you had the entire thing sponsored by Cash App. You had, um, you know, a lot of different uh, Bitcoin companies that had major um, sponsorships. You had a marathon stage. You had, you know, all of these things that uh, just last year, there wasn't really this level of, uh, of, of support from all of these companies that have really grown a lot over the past year or so. Yeah, and considering the last conference was was just ten months ago, it's you want to talk about exponential growth. You're seeing like a three hundred percent increase in a ten month period. Now, obviously, that's just the people that are going to the conference, but that does give you an indication of how um, how that space and how that community and how adoption is growing. Absolutely. And if and if we think about next year you know, what kind of increase do we have from 2022 to 2023? If we go from about 30,000 people or so and just do like a, a 2X instead of a 3X like we had this year, you're talking about 60,000 people being there. And I think there's a good chance that we could see 45 to 50,000 people there next year. I think I think that's realistic. And I think there are some other, you know, extenuating circumstances. I think last year, less people were traveling because it was kind of still the tail end of, of a lot of COVID lockdowns and international travel was, was hindered a little bit, but for the most part, um, you know, I felt like it was, it felt kind of the growth almost felt natural in the sense that it was much, much bigger, but it didn't feel too big. Um, I feel like if it were to double again, it might get to the point where it's just, you know, an absolute mob scene. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they did a much better job this year. Not that this really matters to the the Bitcoin ecosystem, but they did a much better job this year of managing everything, putting on the speeches and the presentations. I had a hard time last year really being able to connect with what people up on the stage were saying. It was it, it was difficult because you can't get very close. Uh, this year it was in a, a much, much larger room and they did a really good job of making it so that regardless of where you were in the room, there's a big screen to look at and the sound was good. You could follow along. And I thought the speeches this year were also 
significantly better than what I heard last year. And yeah, there was a lot more, fun. yeah, a lot more uh, substantive content in terms of the speeches people were giving. I think last year it felt maybe a little bit more um, kind of rah-rah cheerleader-ish um, where people were just kind of up there, you know, pumping the idea. And then this year we had a lot of actual announcements and talking about developments in the space and things that um, I thought went a lot deeper than last year. The other thing I'll mention about how they um, manage the overall conference, they did a amazing job this year in terms of traffic and ingress and egress last year, you know, along with a ton of people that were at the conference last year, we waited in a line that was over a half mile long to just to get our, you know, ticket scan. So we get an armband this year. You basically were able to walk right in. It took no more than five minutes to get from the beginning of the, of the queue to inside the conference. So uh, they took uh, whatever feedback they got last year. Cause I know people were not happy about that. And, and they really did a much better job on that. Yeah. The, the overall logistics were significantly better. There's no doubt about that. So I'd like to bring up my, what I what my favorite part of the conference was, and that was using the Lightning Network. So for mm -hmm. people that don't really understand uh, what the Lightning Network is, I personally think that Lightning is Bitcoin's killer app. And what the Lightning, I'm going to let you describe the Lightning Network. I think you do a better job describing it than me. Sure. I mean, the Lightning Network is a layer two network that kind of sits on top of Bitcoin. And what it allows you to do is to make very small payments, very fast and very cheap. Now, they don't have to be small payments, but, you know, sending $5 worth of Bitcoin for a cup of coffee is not really a practical process today um, mm -hmm. if you're doing it on chain. So what Lightning does is it allows you through another layer of networks to send value from one party to another um, using this incredibly fast uh, network that can also settle instantly. So, you know, you can, if you think of just being able to scan a QR code and immediately the money goes from you to whoever you want to pay, uh, lightning allows you to do that. And then on top of that, it has, uh, some really nice privacy features to it because you're not really recording every one of those transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. You're just, uh, transacting between whatever parties are on the lightning network. And the only time that anything is getting settled out to Bitcoin is, is when you close out a, a lightning channel. So for the most part, you're able to transact at will as fast as you want. And there's not really, you know, a, there's no waiting 10 minutes for the, for the block to close. It's just instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I know when I was playing around in Bitcoin between 2015 and 2017, I know I, I I did something for some kind of transaction. I don't remember what it was, but I saw it took like 10, maybe 15 minutes for it to settle. And I said, this is never going to work. You can't do this. Bitcoin is very, very slow. It's intentionally slow. Intentionally. Right. It's not made to have you know, it's not made to have enormous amounts of transactions. And right now, the most powerful network in the world is Visa's payment network. And Visa's payment network can handle about 60,000 transactions a second. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, I think, can handle about seven to 10 transactions a second. But the Lightning Network, in theory, can handle 2 million plus transactions per second. So yeah, it it's incredibly robust in that sense. And to the, to the extent that it actually gets adopted and people start using it, um, you know, it's going to be tough to get to that level of transaction, but knowing that it can handle it really allows it to scale in a way that uh, lets, you know, merchants and individuals pretty much transact any amount of Bitcoin they want or any amount of fiat they want. Uh, depending on what interface they're using in a very, very fast and robust way. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't what I thought was really impressive for this conference was that every vendor there accepted lightning. And, and in your welcome package, 
uh, they encouraged you to set up a, a, a lightning wallet. They gave you 10 free dollars if you went to a certain kiosk to get it. And at other random times in the conference, they give you, uh, you know, $10 uh, at other places. And I got to use... I got to use lightning for the first time and I got to pay for some waters with lightning. It was very fast. It was very easy. It was, I would say it was pretty similar to using, I don't know if Venmo is the the right app, but it was pretty similar to using any payment app. When you, when you open the app, it showed you what your balance was. There was a send button at the bottom, a receive button at the bottom, and when you when you want to pay for something, you press the send button. It opened up a camera. You scanned a QR code, and even and considering that, it, that was it. And even considering that environment where you had a lot of cell phone users in in very confined space, you didn't have great uh, bandwidth. It took about three to five seconds to confirm that transaction. So yeah. It- yeah, I think one of the big takeaways was that we got to see lightning working and it works. It really works. Uh, I think it's something people could easily adopt. I don't think there's any kind of technical hurdle for anybody to get past it. And in my opinion, lightning is Bitcoin's killer app. It also solves the problem of fast payments on Bitcoin, which you know has, has been an issue in the past. Right. You hear a lot of uh, critics of Bitcoin complaining about the the slow transaction time and the inability to handle many, many transactions in a short period of time. And lightning really does address both of those issues head on. And then it adds a lot on top of that in terms of uh, privacy and finality and being able to just uh, make payments where, you know, someone might say, Oh, there's some other, there's some other, crypto out there that handles payments better. Well, whenever those people discuss that, they're not talking about lightning when they compare it to Bitcoin. Yeah, I would add that in that anytime someone's having a discussion of Bitcoin, if they're not discussing light, it depends on obviously what they're discussing about Bitcoin, but if they're discussing it as sort of like a 30,000 feet view, if they're not discussing lightning, then they're just repeating something they read online or something someone else told them. They're, they're really exhibiting a real lack of understanding yeah, there's only two reasons why they don't. There's only two reasons why someone would talk about that and not mention Lightning, and that's because either they haven't actually studied Bitcoin enough to understand all of the parts of it, um, or they're being intentionally um, misleading by leaving it out of the conversation. Uh, there's really no other reason. I agree, and with that, we one of the biggest announcements uh, of the conference was Jack Mallers. Last year, he announced that El Salvador was going to adopt Bitcoin. And of course, uh, there was a lot of anticipation for for his speech. And and in my opinion, he announced something really, really big. I don't know if the I know the audience was cheering and they're all excited. And, you know, they they uh, sort of, you know, they, they he's a hero to many people in the audience. But I don't know if people really digested what he announced and what he announced was that Strike uh, has has entered into a partnership with three major players. Those players are Shopify. So anyone that wants to buy something online from Shopify can use the Lightning Network to pay for what they bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next... Uh, uh, the next company they did a partnership was uh, Blackhawk. Uh, Blackhawk is a, a payment processing company. And, and what they're doing with the Blackhawk technology is that you could go to, I'm going to say like a Home Depot. And Home De- you can show the, you can show a QR code on your phone to the cashier at Home Depot and they can scan that and receive payment. And that's mm-hmm. through the, the Blackhawk network. And then the one that I thought was really interesting was NCR. So NCR has about one-sixth of all of the uh, point-of-sale terminals at retail locations. I, I don't know if it's across the country or across the world, but NCR is a... is a Huge company. A, an, 
a huge company. And they're doing an integration with NCR at all of their terminals, all of their, their point of sale terminals, where if you want, you can pay with lightning. You, you can pay with the lightning rails. Now, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily using Bitcoin to pay for something. It just means that instead of using the current system of verify, uh, the current system of confirming that you can complete a transaction using a credit card or a debit card. Uh, you can now do that process over the Lightning Network. And the benefit to the merchants is that they will save about 3%. Right. It's, it's much, much cheaper for the merchant. It's virtually free. And what it does and what is really interesting about um, Strike, which is Jack Maller's company, uh, getting involved in this stuff is that you don't have to use Bitcoin in order to use Strike. You can, um, but Strike doesn't care in the sense that if you go to a Walmart and you want to buy a Coca-Cola like Jack did on the video in his presentation, um, you can, as a merchant, you can decide that you want to accept U.S. dollars which you know avoids you having to to have bitcoin on your balance sheet you can accept bitcoin um if you're in another country you can accept that currency um and then it also doesn't care where the customer is spending from so if you want to spend dollars and send them over strike it's going to instantly convert those dollars into bitcoin send it to the merchant and immediately before he receives that payment, it's going to convert it back to whatever the merchant wants it to be converted back to. So to the user, it's pretty seamless. And, you know, his, one of his points was that you could, you could have a wallet on your phone that's connected to a Tor node, uh, allowing you to have, you know, really serious privacy in your payments. And, and you can scan, you know, that QR code at the point of sale and spend your Satoshis that way um, to where it's not really uh, it's not really part of the existing payment system. It's it's kind of outside of that using Bitcoin. So that was really interesting. Um, and like you said, the QR code and I think Venmo is a good example of how the how the payment kind of works. If you use Venmo, you know, when you're standing next to someone, you can click that scan button and a little QR code comes up and you scan it and, and allows you to pay that person. And it's kind of a similar thing. Um, but if you have a phone and you and the camera allows you to scan a QR code, then you can make these payments all day long. And it's really, really slick. Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think you have to build the infrastructure obviously for something like this before you really have the demand for the consumers because while this was a very significant announcement in some ways i think your comment to me afterwards was yeah that's that's great but you know is there really demand from the consumers are there really consumers that are wanting to do this and my answer is no not really but yeah, i don't think the consumer cares at the end of the day it, meaning that if you if you're wanting to use Bitcoin to buy day-to-day -day items, then yes, you care. But this is really for the merchants in the sense that they're the ones that are going to benefit from this. And we may see over time that they create incentives for their customers to use this payment network because it's saving everybody money. So, you know, if somebody, if you go into a store and the merchant says, how do you want to pay? And you say, oh, I've got a American Express card, here you go. And they say, well, how about you pay using the strike interface and you'll save 1%. Well, maybe that's an incentive for people to spend the money differently if the merchant's willing to share some of that savings with the customer. So I think that's one way it happens. Um, the other two things that I, that I kind of noticed with this Jack Mallers announcement, the first one is that this is really and I, I mentioned this to you, we talked about it a lot. This is a, a debit card and prepaid card scenario. So what we're talking about here is cash final 
Um, meaning that you are spending your cash and the merchant is receiving your cash instantly. But at that point, the cash is out of your possession as opposed to, uh, you know, Amex, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, you make that payment. And then depending on your billing cycle, you're going to pay it next month. Um, that's not the case here. So what that brings up to me is that we do have a need for that next layer of, of infrastructure to where you don't have to necessarily use cash that is in your possession. Um, you, there would have to be, you know, credit types of, um, facilities on top of lightning theoretically that would allow you to use it the same way that you use an Amex card or a, you know, a, a visa credit card as opposed to a debit card or a prepaid uh, gift card or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, I think very, very few people picked up on that fact, especially since the presentation was really geared more to show how it was the evolution of visa MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. But really it isn't. It's really more of the evolution of cash than a check than a debit card. It was really more on that spectrum than uh, the credit cards. It, was really, it, it wasn't a replacement for credit cards. It was a replacement for debit cards. And checks, like you said. Yeah. And checks. Yeah. Although I don't know the last time I saw someone using a check in a store. Um, I see it every once in a while. It's pretty funny when it happens. It's slow and it's, it can be uh, <laughs> quite annoying if I need to get somewhere in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. But, but I also think that one of the things that, you know, I brought up Bitcoin to people and I'm sure you've heard this before. I've had people ask me like, but how do I spend it? What do I do with it? And what we're seeing now is this is a pretty consequential thing because if the vendors or I'm sorry, if the merchants that um, Jack Mallers put up in his presentation all actually take uh, payment using this, um, this payment rail. That's an enormous step forward in the evolution of, I'm not just going to say Bitcoin, evolution in payments in general. Absolutely. And, and, and the companies that he listed off that, you know, all fall into the uh, Shopify, NCR and uh, Blackhawk world are all of the biggest retailers. I mean, you know, just the few that come to mind were uh, Walmart, Chipotle, Kroger, um, Home Depot. I mean, there's just all the big players are, are going to be able to accept Bitcoin over the Lightning Network using Strike. And we'll see if that really plays out. I'm going to be really curious. I'm going to be be paying attention when I'm out and about over the next six months or so to see, you know, how is it being implemented? Is it being implemented everywhere? Or do you just put names up there that are going to do like, a, they're going to put on 3% or 4% of their, their point of sale terminals? Or is this something that is going uh, on close to 100% of the terminals? That remains to be seen. That's right. I, I think that, you know, the future will tell, um, you know, how that how that plays out. But there's going to be a, there is a big difference between, you know, each of those major retailers doing a pilot program in a couple of stores versus rolling it out, uh, you know, globally. But uh, but baby steps. Right. Like we'll we'll get there. But I think one of the things that Jack said that I thought was great is that you know this was towards the end of his announcement it was like you know let's let all of the technology people compete to make the best solutions uh for making payments over these rails and you know he called out um i think he called out jeff bezos and elon musk and um i forget who else but but the point being that let's take our best technology innovators and and you know throw your hat in the ring, made the best man win is what he said. And let's see what we can build on top of this network to really uh, transform and revolutionize the, the payment world. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, a 3%, a savings of 3% to a retailer uh, 
is significant. A, a savings of 3% to any merchant is significant. And it definitely creates uh, room for some creative incentives that they, they are going to offer the consumer. And things that I can't think of. I mean, people will find, there'll be something that someone will come up with and it really motivates people to do this. And then we're also going to see what the credit card processors do because they've, they've been able to operate for 50, 60 years with that 3% fee that they're charging more or less. Mm -hmm. And now that there's a competitor, uh, things are going to change. I don't know if, uh, if there's a way that you can process visa or American express over the lightning network, but we're going to find out. And, uh, I, I thought that I thought it was a. I thought that it was a really significant announcement, and that you have to. I think you just said earlier you have to take these baby steps. I don't know if it really. Don't know if I really classify this one as a baby step, but it is a step, and I think where a lot of people get. I don't know. A lot of people get twisted is where they want everything and they want everything right now. And for something that we're talking about with new money and payment systems, it, it takes incremental gains in order to get to your goal. And getting yourself on a point of sale system is an enormous step. Whether people are using it or not, just to have uh, the opportunity to pay that way, just to have space on what I'm going to call that real estate, that real estate on that point of sale terminal is huge. And it is possible that we're going to look back on this two, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and think, wow, we didn't think that much about it at the time. But that was really significant. And it, it also had, I, I know people weren't really discussing this much, but there was, there was a very significant privacy aspect to those payments. I know he put something up where he showed you could pay from your node through Tor, but I mean, that's not going to be for most users. But regardless, you could move Bitcoin into your Lightning wallet. And when you pay for it, it it's essentially a, I don't know if I've come to call it an anonymous transaction, but it doesn't have to go through an exchange. So let me be a little more clear there. People buy Bitcoin on exchange. 99% of people buy Bitcoin on an exchange. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to hold that Bitcoin there. And then when they want to spend the Bitcoin, they're going to usually, if they're smart, they're going to move it from their cold storage back onto an exchange. And then they're going to sell it like you would sell a stock or any other asset. And let's just say they want to sell $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. So they they... They purchase, I'm going to say, $10,000 worth of Bitcoin in January. And in June, they decide they want to spend some. They want to buy a, a new iPhone or something. They want to get $1,000. So they sell $1,000 of their Bitcoin. They go to the exchange. They do it. They cash that. They exchange that Bitcoin for dollars. And then they go spend those dollars. And what this does is it opens up the opportunity to go directly from your Bitcoin to a merchant. And, and if all these merchants do indeed accept it, then it's a huge step forward for Bitcoin, even though in some ways it looks like a small step forward, if that makes any sense. No, it's a, um, it is a monumental paradigm shift in the way that people could spend Bitcoin today. And it's also a huge paradigm shift compared to the existing payment system. So when I said baby steps, I didn't mean to suggest that the announcement was a baby step. I think it's a huge step. What I'm saying is, like you said, there's going to be small incremental gains. And at some point in the future, you know, several years from now, you'll look back. You know, I, I think maybe a good example is that when the Internet first started in the you know, mid to late nineties. And I know it started before then, but when people really started using it, when everybody was, you know, getting on AOL, um, even at those times, we started to see more websites pop up and more actual um, business getting built on the internet. I think at that point in time, 
there were certain things that you that you saw that that you thought might have happened you know when when voice over ip became a thing and you're like okay you can talk on the phone over the internet that didn't seem like too much of a stretch but think about it mm. in the sense of in 1999 you know was was the average person really thinking about the fact that someday you're going to be able to log into a device and you know change the temperature in your house or open or close your garage door um, by touching a screen. And, you know, those, the ability to see that 20 something years ago did not exist. I mean, there's no way that people were thinking about those types of things. And now today, you know, those things are commonplace. And now that we've got this whole IOT world that didn't exist, even, you know, in really anybody's minds in the late nineties, um, you see, if you go back and chart how we got to that point, it's all of these little incremental changes in technology that allow it to happen. And I think we're going to see a similar thing here. I, I agree. And, and just if you, if you take a, a step back and think about the fact that NCR, it's a company that's been around for a hundred plus years. And I know that because NCR stands for national cash register. And I have a, mm -hmm. Coca-Cola cash register in my house from like 1910. Uh, so you're talking about a very, very old company that used to make cash registers that were mechanical that had these, these buttons. They didn't do any addition for you. They just pressed a button. Uh, and now to see NCR accepting Bitcoin payments over the Lightning Network, it's, it is quite extraordinary. It's something that you know, I'm trying to think back that if someone had told me this, so I'm just thinking back to like 2015, what my mindset was. And someone say, okay, well, seven years from now, you'll be able to go to a, a, a Walmart and pay with Bitcoin. I would have thought that that was very significant, right? 2015, 2016, 2017. I would have sure. thought that was pretty amazing. Like, wow, it's going to come in the future, you know? Um that would give me a lot of confidence at the time. So let's just say it's 2015. If someone said, in the future, you're going to be able to go to a Walmart or McDonald's or Home Depot, and you're going to be able to pay with Bitcoin, I probably would have bought as much Bitcoin as I could have at the time. <laughs> and so that is significant. And um, you have anything else to add to, to the, the, the payment rails, Jack Mallers? Not really. I just think, you know, overall, um, lightning was huge, um, at the, at the conference. It was, um, that, that, and, and then we can switch gears here and, and talk a little bit about mining, which was also a huge, uh, presence at the, at the conference. I mean, I think every other booth in the exhibition hall, uh, had something to do with mining. And I think that you're going to see a real push for, um, just, you know, the average person and the average Bitcoiner to be able to mine Bitcoin on their own, um, in their home, all kinds of ways that, um, that allow you to, uh, to earn Bitcoin, uh, as part of the mining network. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of shocked by how much mining stuff was there. And, and if we look at it, there have been really two industries that did not exist before that are there now, or two types of businesses that did not exist before that are there now. One is mining. And, you know, mining, I, I, I really couldn't keep up with all the different mining options that were there. You know, there's a company there that sells sells boxes where you submerge your miner in some kind of oil like channel that oil the immersion you know, like yeah. channel that heat yeah. immersion uh, uh steve barber's company which i think is called upstream data have this new box for home miners the black and box. it's about yeah. the black box you can put it outside and it's got a lot of soundproofing in it. You put a miner, or I don't know how many miners that box will hold. Maybe it holds three or four miners. It, it depends. They make multiple sizes. Different sizes, right. Two and to four, pretty out. much. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's like a $2,000 box. And you know, they're really pushing for people to, to mine at home and to decentralize mining. 
And so mining is an industry that really didn't exist. I'm going to go back to 2015 again, just to keep things kind of consistent. I don't know what kind of mining we had in 2015, but we've certainly seen a whole industry spring up from it. An industry that's, that's being creative, that's offering all kinds of different products. They're offering, we saw things from boxes that you buy to home mine. We saw immersion fluids. We saw mining as a service, mm-hmm. you know, hosted mining, anything along that mining spectrum, all the way from you doing everything yourself, having it outside your house, which I thought was really neat because they can be kind of loud, um, all the way to just subscribing to be part of a mining pool. Uh, and that was, except mining is definitely one of the industries that have come out of this. And the other industry yeah. um, that was very evident there was exchanges and financial services. Yeah, I would say that. that was one of my complaints about the uh, about the conference is that um, you know, if you're, if you're going to go to the Bitcoin conference, then, you know, maybe your trade show booth shouldn't, you know, advertise that you're a crypto exchange. I just, you know, I, I think, and I think I heard a lot of this as well, and I'm not the type of person that, you know, is such a hardcore Bitcoin maximalist that I think that, you know, there's no room to talk about any other, um, cryptocurrencies. I personally I'm not into them, but I also felt like it was starting to encroach on what was really supposed to be a Bitcoin only event. Yeah, look, the the people who are putting on the event, uh, for the most part, if you want to pay for a booth in their exhibition hall, are going to sell you one. I know that we went up to a booth that was selling NFTs and I was a little confused. I was like, what is this? I didn't really understand what it had to do with Bitcoin. I still don't. Well, no, I think we those NFTs were on the Bitcoin blockchain. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't take enough time to look into it, but there was definitely we definitely heard rumblings of people saying that this is not a crypto conference. This is supposed to be a Bitcoin conference and you know, to me I I didn't uh it doesn't bother me that that other things were were moving in there. I mean, the space is going to grow. Um, it's it's working a lot of stuff out. I mean, if we think back to the internet, you know, I remember when the internet was called the information superhighway. I remember when right. in order to get on there, you had to use CompuServe. I remember when AOL, well, I, I remember getting on there after CompuServe, but before AOL, I bought a box. I went to the store and bought a box with like software in it when you would still have to, you had to go to a store to buy because you couldn't get over the internet. And it, it came with like software that I could use. It was impossible to use to, to go online. And it was a horrible experience. So, you know, it, 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 when, when you have a new technology or a new industry, things are going to pop up and they're going to be winners. They're going to be losers. It attracts a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. Most of those are going to fail. But out of some of those, you're going to get some really great applications and some really great ideas. And that's what uh, that's what capitalism is really about, that you get to right, yeah. put something out there and try it. You get to uh, you get to try things and if you fail, someone else might, you know, see your failure and innovate something better. And so of course it's important for there to be people trying different things. Um, and I think we saw, we saw a lot of it. I think there, there are a number of booths that we saw that, uh, probably won't be there next year and there'll be many new ones as well. So I think that it's, it's, it's healthy, um, for there to be successes and failures within the space so that, you know, people can learn from other people's, trial and error and, and just continue to innovate. I agree. And I think that leads us into something that was a very, very popular uh, talk at the conference, which was Jordan Peterson. I don't, we were up close and I didn't, uh, I, I was engaged in the talk and I didn't really see, you know, how many people were behind us, but I think the loudest that I ever heard that room was with Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you agree or disagree. 
I think so as far as uh, what I saw. I mean, it was definitely, you know, I don't know who was number one, who was number two, but Jordan Peterson was right up there with Jack Mallers. For sure. I, I think, and, and this will tell you something about the crowd that was there. I think people were may, way more excited about Jack Mallers and Jordan Peterson than about um, Aaron Rodgers and OBJ and Serena Williams, which, you know, outside of the Bitcoin world are way, way, way more famous than either of the other guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, but those were, uh, I would say Jack Mallers and Jordan Peterson were the two most uh, enthusiastic audiences I was in. Yeah, I agree. And and Jordan Peterson talked about this idea that you've got to let certain things fail. You can't just, you can't, can't keep things around. can't support things that are just not going to work in the marketplace. But that was a very minor part of what he said. The thing that I thought was most impactful about what he talked about were the unintended consequences if indeed Bitcoin does what the attendees of that conference think it's going to do. You know, the obviously the people there think it's going to take over the world. It's going to be some kind of reserve asset. They also think it's the solution to many, if not all of the world's problems. So there's this, you know, meme in the Bitcoin world that whatever is not good Bitcoin fixes this, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever it may be, you know, someone sees something in the news that's not good. And um, the idea is, well, you know, if we were all using Bitcoin, this would not be a problem. And he said something I thought was really intelligent, which is that, you know, that may be true. You know, that may be right. And you may see this, this global adoption of Bitcoin, but people need to start thinking about what the unintended consequences are if Bitcoin does take over. Right. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be all fun and games and it's not going to be, you know, success after success after success. There's going to be, um, challenges and hurdles and things that we don't know today that are going to happen as more and more people use this asset. But, um, I think that that would, I would say that that was really wise uh, guidance by Jordan Peterson to say that, you know, maybe some of this exuberance needs to be tempered a little bit so that as we continue to grow this thing, um, you know, people aren't surprised when maybe something doesn't work out the way they thought it would, or if something fails with that they thought was inevitably going to succeed, all of those kinds of things. And I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think about what might happen that they weren't expecting when, when all these other good things are happening. And I think it's something that people do need to start thinking about. Like you, you got, I, I thought it was extremely wise what he said. It was something that, I really hadn't personally ever thought about, and I've got a thing for unintended consequences. I just think they're kind of fascinating. And I've started to think that through a bit. Uh, I don't have the answers. I'd like for people who are much smarter than me to, to maybe take some time and energy to contemplate some of these unintended consequences and hopefully try and counteract some of those unintended consequences. So, there's an unintended consequence story that I really like, uh, which is called the Cobra effect, if anyone wants to, mm-hmm. to look it up. But in short, uh, when, uh, when Britain ruled India, they had a huge problem with Cobras. And so they, they gave a bounty for anyone that could bring them a dead Cobra. And at first, people start bringing them all these dead Cobras and it's fine. It seems like it's working really well, but then they realize like they're, they're the problem. The Cobra problem doesn't seem to be getting smaller. There seem to be, if anything, more Cobras around. And what happened was at first people killed the Cobras that they found. And then when they had a financial incentive to bring them dead Cobras, they started breeding Cobras in their homes right. so they could bring more dead Cobras. When they started running out of Cobras, they just made new Cobras. And we've seen this in lots of areas. So, I would like to see some of the the thought leaders in the Bitcoin community start to think through some of these unintended consequences and hopefully 
try and counteract some of them. Uh, do I think that's going to happen? I'm an optimistic person, but I, I don't think personally we're going to see much of that. Uh, but I hope we do. Yeah, it's uh, it's never a smooth road when you're talking about something of this scale. Um, and I thought that that was a a really just like you said a wise uh, piece of guidance uh, to give to the to the people who were um, look. Everybody should be excited about what's going on at that conference. It was it it was overall um, you know great energy. People really just I think overall happy to be there. Um, I always like talking to people at these things. They're just, you know, there are interesting people in the Bitcoin world. And I think that there's going to be a lot of great stuff that's going to come out of it. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's okay to, uh, to curb your enthusiasm a little maybe and, and, and take a step back and, and think through what could go wrong. Yeah, and there will be, unfortunately, things that do go wrong. Um, but I, we don't want to to really harp on that. I think there's some other things I'd like to get in here before we run out of time, which was the Samsung. Go ahead. Anything else on that? No, go ahead. Oh, uh, the, the Samsung Mao announcement. So obviously, uh, or we discussed earlier that last year at the conference, Jack Mallers announced that El Salvador was making Bitcoin legal tender. And there was a lot of anticipation this year for, are we going to get, you know, what are we going to get? Is there going to be another country on board? And we did get the announcement of two more cities, not two countries, but two more cities. One was called Prospera, uh, which is in Honduras. Yeah, it's other- uh, in Roatan, which is an island off the coast of Honduras. Um, that's apparently beautiful. I've, I've heard it's amazing there. Um, and Prospera is, and I, w- I don't know if these are really cities in the sense, or they're more like almost like planned development communities that are on a Bitcoin standard is kind of how I interpreted it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, We're going to find out more about it. The other one was Madeira, Portugal, similar type of thing. Also an island. Yeah. An island. Right. Right. And then the third part of his announcement was that there was a a Senator from Mexico there and she's a, she's introducing a bill to make Bitcoin legal tender in Mexico. And, you know, I'll bet you, I'm not going to list an amount of money, but I think it's very, very unlikely that the country of Mexico makes Bitcoin legal tender. I think the no, but, U.S. But government the fact, will shut that down pretty quickly. Yeah, but the fact that you've got um, you know lawmakers there that are talking about it again, it just points to the growth of the idea. Absolutely, and I think once again, if we we kind of reference back to 2015. And say, okay, you know, in 2022, there's going to be a senator from Mexico. It's going to be at this, by the way, the Bitcoin conference in 2022 is going to have 30,000 people there. And there's going to be people talking about nation state adoption. And there's going to be a senator from Mexico there that's introducing a bill. And there's going to be a U.S. senator there. Right. Uh, Cynthia Lummis was there, which we, we ran mm-hmm. into her. And, uh, I know that if I, 2015, I'd be really curious, like, you know, obviously if someone coming from the future to tell me, you know, what happened seven years from then, but I'd really be curious about that journey from where Bitcoin was back then uh, to where it is now and, and how all these really large players are getting involved. And if we take kind of a look back as we've had this discussion right now, we're talking about high ranking government officials at this conference. We're talking about NCR payment rails and point of sale system um, having Bitcoin. You're talking about one of the most popular authors in the world. Jordan Peterson goes around the country and gives talks to three, 4,000 people a night sold out. I mean, I've actually been to one of his talks before and it was amazing and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like 2,500 people there to listen to a college lecture. (laughs) Yeah. And you don't see that. I mean, we just don't see people paying for tickets to go hear, you know, lectures. I can't think of another author that does that. So, and of course we had, you know, superstar athletes there, although that's, I think that's more window dressing than anything else. So it's certainly enormous, enormous step forward. There's something else, Matt, that I haven't discussed with you yet. Um, 
And it was part of, I don't remember exactly who was involved in the talk. You might remember uh, Adam Curry. Oh, was yeah. There. Well, it was Adam was Curry, that the Max, Max Kaiser. Kaiser. Yeah, was, and Francis Nagano. Yeah. And Adam Curry brought up something that I thought was really interesting, which were, once again, talking about Lightning, the Lightning Network, ultra small payments. So if I want to send you, if I want to send you $100, I've got many, many ways to do that. I can do it through Cash App or Venmo or PayPal or Zelle or I can mail you a check. I mean, it goes on how many ways I can send you $100. But what if I want to send you three cents? How can I send you three cents? And I can't mail it to you because a stamp is 40 something cents, right? Right. Well, the, the stamp check and envelope, uh, you know, probably cost right. a dollar. Exactly. So I can't, I can't really do that. I mean, I could, I could, if I'm in your presence, I could give you three pennies. That's one way to do it. But what the Lightning Network enables, and I thought this was really interesting. Actually, I'm sorry, this wasn't Aaron Curry. This was a different one that I was listening to. The, the idea was how small of a payment can we, are we able to send? So the idea is like, let's say you want to read an article online. Mm -hmm. Right now they have different paywalls. But what if you think you could charge someone three cents, two cents, a penny, fraction of a penny to read an article? And with the Lightning Network, you can make ultra small payments and that can enable a range of things that I really can't imagine. I know it can change the way that uh, news and media is distributed. It can change the way that people support podcasts, which is something that Adam Curry did talk about, but he didn't talk mm -hmm. about these ultra small payments. Uh, and it was something that I really hadn't thought about before, which was this will enable people to transact in, I don't know if you want to call them micropayments, but allow someone to send very, very tiny units of value over the internet to somebody else. And that can be used to unlock all kinds of doors and gateways. Absolutely. And, you know, this idea of like, you know, you hear people talking about streaming sats, which is really what you're talking about. And the idea that, you know, why do I have to pay $60 a month for YouTube TV. If I can just watch the one show that I want to watch by streaming some sats over the internet to whoever's putting that show on. And so I think, you know, whether or not it gets adopted at that level, I don't know, but I think it opens up uh, the possibility for all kinds of uh, transactions between people um, in order to, uh, to, offer more choice, I guess, in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you're actually sending real value over the internet. You're not just saying, mm -hmm. uh, you're not just checking like a, a visa credit availability balance or anything like that. And then they say, okay, the, the balance is there and you're okay. You're actually sending the value and you can't get it back after you sent it. Sure. All right. Once, once I've sent it from me to you, if I send you five cents, over lightning it's final it's no charge it's right right um and i thought that that those those really tiny payments and the ability to send super super small payments could have some profound impacts on on the world and, and technology and and how uh we get to things and and that's not mentioned much and i know it's a it's a smaller part of that but it is something that i thought was pretty fascinating and something I hadn't really thought through before. Yeah. Well, one thing I didn't talk to you about that I was going to mention um, before we wrap up here is, um, and I guess maybe this is our, the shameless plug section of our podcast today is that I really didn't see much, if any Bitcoin owner related services being offered in terms of the exhibitors. Um, and, you know, a lot of it may be because you have a much higher level of user in that convention hall, meaning that most people are 
more familiar with Bitcoin than the average person. So maybe there's not as much of a need there, or maybe it just doesn't exist. But, you know, when you talk about the types of things that that we do at Bitcoin Butlers in terms of helping people figure out where to buy the Bitcoin, figure out where to store the Bitcoin, how to do inheritance planning. I mean, you've got, you know, companies like Casa and Unchained who are multi-sig wallet providers that are that are doing things around inheritance planning. But again, you're not really seeing um, independent service providers that are giving um, the ability for Bitcoin users to consult and figure out kind of the best way to do things. And so I think uh, hopefully, and hopefully for us, that's an area of growth in the space where people mm -hmm. are going to, you know, onboard themselves into the Bitcoin network and they're going to need some help doing it. Yeah. And we also, I, I did hear inheritance planning come up in a number of talks. And the, the general <laughs> thing is like, it's something we need to address. Everyone knows it needs to be addressed. People are addressed. They're starting to address it in some ways. I don't, uh, I don't think anyone has developed anything even close to what we have or as, or offers as complete of a solution. And that may be a shameless blog, but it's, it's also an honest assessment of what we saw and, you know, all these things of micropayments and unintended consequences, they're all fine. They're interesting. And I, I, I enjoy thinking about them, but passing your, your assets onto your heirs, particularly these digital assets, which, um, if stored correctly, are going to be very difficult for your heirs to get to. Uh, is significant. It, uh, it it does need to be. It does need more attention. You know, we only really got into this because we couldn't find a solution, and we had to build one. And sure. uh, and I, I thought that was still. You know, when we went there last year. We thought like, wow, this is this really big hole in this ecosystem, and no one's paying attention to it. And everyone agrees it needs to be there. We've seen a little bit of advancement this year outside of what we've done, but still, you know, you've got someone there selling, you know, these bizarre NFTs. And I, I'm saying that because I, I didn't know much, but I just, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of silly based on what, you know, these really thoughtful discussions we were having with people and really thinking through you know, how does this change the world? You know, how impactful would this be? And then, you know, someone there is kind of selling a toy, right? right. Um, not, not, right. And, and, and if, and if people are into collectibles, Hey, that's great. You know, I've got a friend who's, who's 50 years old and he is really, really into collectible cards, like baseball cards. I mean, baseball cards are huge. It's his passion. He loves it. It's fine. I mean, it's, you know, if, whatever you're into, as long as it doesn't affect me, I'm, I'm good. You know, I like people sure. that are passionate about things, but, but when we think about like, how do we build? Cause we need a lot of people to build different things. No one's going to do everything in the space. You need someone like Jack mm -hmm. Mallers building payment rails. You need someone like Simon Mao working with, with countries and cities and other jurisdictions to, uh, to help make Bitcoin legal tender. You need people developing at-home mining boxes and mining as a service. You obviously need all these financial services. You need the exchange, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very, very big ecosystem because we're really talking about uh, economies in a lot of ways, right? It touches almost everything. So I still think that inheritance is a huge hole. Uh, like I said, there have been some gains, but... I know we went to one booth that that offered some services to people and we were chatting with them and we asked about inheritance and it was like deer in the headlights. Like, oh yeah, we we, oh, yeah. <laughs> we know it's needed and we know it needs to be there. But I mean, to be honest, I don't think inheritance planning is... Uh, the, the revenues generated by inheritance planning will never compete to what people who run an exchange will make, right? For sure. They'll, They'll or never a hosted compete. mining company. Hosted, or, right. Yeah. It's right. Right. But, but to actually help the regular people and people that want to get into this, I do think it's hugely important. And, and I think that, that the community is in agreement that it's hugely important. Not that I would need the community to be in agreement, but 
you know, uh, there was a talk about storage and, you know, uh, storage devices and the evolution of them. And that came up in that talk. And, you know, there, <laughs> the, the answer was, well, you know, inheritance is really important. We're trying to figure it out. Right. There's uh, it's something that people recognize, but it's still something that really hasn't um, been built out yet. So, um, you know, hopefully that'll be something that we can continue to offer to the, to the ecosystem. And, uh, and it'll be something that more people are interested in, in looking at. Yeah. And I'll say this, it's a shameless plug, but I think our inheritance plan, I didn't know what we're going to get into when we went there, you know, you never know someone, someone's built a better mousetrap and you you put all this work into something and you you never know what you're going to find when you go and see, you know, the entire Bitcoin world come together or a lot of the Bitcoin world come together and, it's still a big hole, and I still think our solution is the the most robust and most thoughtful of what's out there. Can't disagree. The good news is, yeah, the good news is we can help people with it. So, um, with that, where anything else that you want to add in before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think we covered pretty much everything I was thinking about, and I think um, you know, I'm I'm very excited to see kind of how this conference evolves as Bitcoin evolves. I think, uh, you know, it'll be very interesting to have a third conference that I've attended next year to kind of get a little better sense of the, uh, the trajectories and the trends. Um, but, uh, but I think overall it's really exciting stuff. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, a lot of times people just judge Bitcoin based on the, the price or the exchange rate. And um, that's understandable if you're not really going to get too deep into it. But when you see how this ecosystem is growing and exploding, uh, it's a bit mind blowing. I mean, that's a it was yeah. it was a very different world we walked into this you know than what we saw ten months ago. Well, I will say this is that both times there was very little to zero talk about the price of Bitcoin during the convention. That's not what people are focused on. I'm sure there are plenty of people there who, you know, trade it actively. They maybe they trade other things actively as well. I don't know. But regardless, it wasn't like, oh, did you see what the price did? Or can you believe the price is where it is? Or any of that. It just wasn't really a topic. It was more about the technology and the people that are building out the technology and the opportunities that we have to, uh, to change the money. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot being built. I mean, we can't get into it all here, <laughs> but, but the amount that's being built, I don't just mean like mining companies and financial services companies and exchanges and things like that. The technology that's being built around it, the level, the layer two layer three technology, even some of the, the Bitcoin core technology. I mean, people are, it's a bit of a gold rush right now. Let's be honest. I mean, I thought that I know you and I didn't discuss this part, but it, it definitely felt like it was a bit of a gold rush. It sort of reminded me of when the internet came around. Everyone had an idea, you know, for what they were going to do on there. A lot of people are trying to get rich. You know, they see this this technology shift and these opportunities, and I think there was quite a bit of that there. And that's not a bad thing. You want people to to be entrepreneurial and to you know, invest time and effort and work into their ideas. And out of that come a lot of great ideas. And there are a lot of smart people working on Bitcoin. I mean, it's... That's for sure. It's Some of the smartest people out there are working in this space, for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, I I think... uh, And we we asked some people about that. And, you know, know, where where are the top... You know, if if you're a software engineer... You know, where are the, the, the top, so- what, what industry are the top software engineers working in? And I think the two are AI yep. and I'm going to use the and term Bitcoin. crypto. I don't love the term crypto, but I think everyone knows what I, that means. So uh, there's a lot of stuff being built. I mean, it's, it's really amazing what's happening. You know, it's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. And I don't think most people know about it, nor, nor do they really care. Right. But the reality is that you have a, a lot of really, really smart people trying to build trying to build the future. 
And uh, I, I'm be very curious to see where we are, not just in you know a year from now in the next conference, but you know where are we five years from now? And I think we're in an unimaginable place five years from now. That's my prediction. Well, I look forward to finding out. Mm -hmm. So with that, where can people find us? So you can find us on our website at btcbutlers.com, Twitter at btcbutlers. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com. Uh, you can also DM us on Twitter. And if you uh, enjoy this podcast, um, whether you're watching the video on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe. And uh, we will continue to post content here and uh, talk about Bitcoin and talk about how Bitcoin butlers can uh, help you with implementing Bitcoin best practices and uh, putting in place a sovereign inheritance plan for your, uh, for your Bitcoin and other assets. So that said, uh, enjoyed attending the conference with you and, We'll talk soon. I'm looking forward to next year already. I'll be honest. <laughs> Wouldn't mind if they had sure. one in six months. It was really just my, my head was spinning for, for, I don't know how long I was there. Let's just say I was there for 60 hours, whatever it was, however long we were in Miami. <laughs> uh, I, my head was spinning, you know, pretty much from the time Great. I got up to the time I went to bed. It was just, it was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. There's so much information being shot at you. It's just too much to take in and a lot of really thoughtful stuff. Anyway. And I'll just say one last thing. I love Miami. The weather is amazing. The people are friendly. The food. I don't think we had a bad bite of food the entire time we were there. I just, I love going to Miami. So it was a blast. Good. All right. Well, I think we'll sign off and uh, right. talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Until next time. Bye. Bye.